Hello, I'm John Foster, and this is Inside Holiday Letting, a podcast series from Sykes Holiday Cottages. And today, we're looking at ways to get the most out of your property, sharing tools to maximise your holiday let income. Once again, I'm joined on this episode by our team of experts from the holiday letting industry, Vanessa Warwick, co-founder of the Property Tribes Forum, and Rachel Brennan from Sykes Holiday Cottages. And our guest today is Helen Winter. Helen, welcome to the podcast and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Helen Winter. I'm an interior designer and I own a company called Coral Interiors based in Bournemouth, Dorset. Um, I'm a residential interior designer and I also specialise in vegan design and most importantly in holiday cottage interiors. Thanks, Helen. Welcome to the podcast. So you've bought your holiday home and Vanessa, I mean, there's a lot of things to take on board here and a lot of things to think about. And I assume maybe one of them that's up there at the top of the list would be, do you go short term versus long term letting? Yes, that's a good question, uh, because if you think about it, the cleaning costs for a three night stay are going to be pretty much similar to the cleaning costs if somebody stayed for, you know, two or three weeks. So to my mind, that the longer stays um, are more profitable. But of course, uh, because of the rise of the staycation, which is this trend that we've been witnessing for probably the last three or four years, there's a lot of uh, people wanting to book, you know, long weekends, you know, maybe three nights. And when you pick these kind of bookings up during um, the, the low tariff, the low season times, they, they can really, really add very nicely to your your cash flow. So um, for the main peak seasons, uh, you know, summer, Christmas, New Year, half term, uh, bank holidays, uh, you should really try and aim to get the longer duration bookings. But then for the lower season, the staycation type um, short weekend or few days break bookings uh, really, really do enhance your, your cash flow. Okay, so for a, for a short term, um, let, we're looking, you know, on average, like two or three nights a weekend, long weekend. In terms of a longer term, can that be anything up to a month, say, for instance? It can be. Um, I've had a couple of instances uh, where I had one lady who was having her house refurbished and she wanted to move out for a month. Um, so I had a month long booking from her. Um, I had um, another lady whose house had been burnt down and she needed somewhere to live. Um, and I had about a month's booking from her. So, you know, people always think of um, short term lettings as mainly, you know, holidays. Uh, but there can be other instances where where people need short term accommodation. I recall another incident uh, where somebody had bought a new built house in the area and it wasn't completed in time to match when they'd sold their previous home. So they were essentially homeless. So they wanted to book again for about a month. Um, so there's lots of other things going on around uh, short term lets which do attract bookings. I mean, another good example is where I've got one of my holiday lets at Camber Sands. It's a very popular location for filming and some very big films have been uh, filmed there, such as Monument Men. And you get a lot of film crews uh, wanting to stay for the duration of the shoot. So there's good good reasons uh, for people to have uh, short-term lettings outside of just taking a holiday or a long weekend break. 
And Rachel, looking at a long-term let, I mean, does that change any sort of like legal right? On for both parties. I mean, when you look at uh, you know a, a short-term let, um, in terms of a bad tenant um, with a short-term let, they're very short-lived. The holidaymaker will be there for a matter of days or maybe a couple of a couple of weeks at most. Um, and if there's any issues during the stay as well, you're well within the rights to to remove them. Whereas legally, um, this is much harder with a long-term tenant that you have. Other factors to consider is ease of payment as well. So all holidays are paid in full prior to the arrival date. Otherwise, the booking just won't go ahead and the holiday maker will, will essentially forfeit their stay. At Sykes, we require the full balance at least six weeks prior to their arrival date, unless they're booking last minute when full payment will be required. Um, with both forms of letting, there is a number of legal obligations to ensure that the property is, of course, deemed safe for holiday makers or whether that's a long term tenant as well. And, you know, with this, you've got to ensure that you've got the right level of insurance cover, public liability, the right rental agreements in place, completed risk assessments, gas safety certificates, pack testing, water certificates if needed for private water supply, um, even planning permission and um, premises use uh, in place if, if that applies to you. Um, but a lot of people believe that there are more obligations with a long-term let than, than with a um, short-term let because the property is a proper home to them rather than just a sort of temporary uh, accommodation. I know one that springs to mind particularly for, for England, is the um, EPC, so the Energy Performance Certificate. Um, this is something that isn't required at the moment for, for English uh, holiday lets because those bills are the responsibility of the, the property owner rather than the holiday maker. So that's a, a little difference there. But I suppose on a, on a longer term let, though, the income opportunity, you know that there's, there's, a, there's a period of time that's been blocked out where you know you're going to get some income. That's right. You can look at a long term um, let with a, a regular income there. Um, but what you will find is that there is more opportunity to earn more with a holiday let. So if you look at what you're charging for, you know, the full calendar month with a long term let, you can typically look to charge in that per week with your short term let. So there is more to capitalize on there. But as well, you can change prices, so price and fluctuations, you can take in seasonality, demands, peaks, um, whereas you're not going to do that with your long-term let as much as you are your short-term. Um, one thing to, to, to be aware of with, with short-term letting, with holiday letting, is that some weeks can go unsold, as you said, and, and that sort of then will stop that sort of income coming into you. Um, but I know we spoke about this previously, and, and Vanessa put it beautifully, is that you know when, when you haven't got anybody staying at your property, your running costs can be lower. So, of course, there's some regular, consistent costs that you have to consider, your mortgage payments, your council tax, maybe a TV license. Um, but other running costs, such as you know lower utility bills, even no cleaning costs if nobody's staying there, um, even no commission to pay pay if you are using a third party. So with ourselves, you only pay commission to us. We are only paid when we successfully let your week. If we do not sell your property, Sykes will not get paid. Um, so some of those costs can, of course, bring those running costs um, down. And the added benefit is that if it does go unsold, you may wish to use it yourself. So you get to you get some personal use there. Vanessa? I was just going to add, um, you know, comparing standard buy to let to short term lets, um, there are over 180 government statutes and regulations that landlords have to adhere to uh, when they have a tenant 
using the property as their home, usually on an assured shorthold tenancy. So uh, the legislation and regulation around that is far, far greater. And also, um, you know, as we're recording this podcast, uh, the eviction ban it has been in place um, and you're not able to uh, evict a tenant. The notice period is six months. So compared to holiday lets, um, you know, there's a lot less red tape. Um, the tenant is a, the, the guest is a guest. They're not a tenant. They don't have any right of tenure in the property. So th there's a lot to be said um, for holiday lettings when you compare them to buy to let um, in terms of the regulation and the legislation. And, you know, one the two main things that landlords worry about is that the tenant won't pay the rent and that the tenant uh, will damage the property. Um, obviously, with holiday lets, the payment is up front, so you don't have that worry. And um, tenants damaging holiday lets is, is extremely rare, in my opinion. I think Rachel probably uh, knows m even more than myself on, on this statistic. But certainly in all my years of holiday lets, um, I, I'm struggling to remember where a tenant damaged anything, actually. Um, I can recall one wine glass being broken and they left two pounds on the side to pay for it. Literally, that's it. And I think this goes back to what we were saying in the other podcasts about if you, if you provide a very high spec, lovely environment for people, m my belief is that they do respect that. So you're probably only going to get any damage in holiday lets if you've got large groups of like hen parties or stag nights or, or things like that. Okay. And the earn or the rate of return for each type, what's that like? Looking at the sort of average gross earnings for a property, you are talking around sort of 20,000 per, per year. Um, now, this is heavily dependent, of course, on a number of factors, location, size, type, style standard um, that will, of course, influence those. And we have some properties that can earn up to 125,000 um, per year. So, so there is quite a, a big range there. Um, larger properties um, certainly can hit that higher range, um, but you have to consider some luxury features to have in there. In terms of bookings, I mean, these can range from anything from sort of 30 weeks per year to, to even sort of 45 um, weeks per year. But again, it's dependent on location. There's some seasonality to, to take into consideration here, but as well as own use, because sometimes um, availability can be blocked out, of course, for, for the owner wanting to use their property themselves. So that can sometimes limit that. Um, looking at, again, larger properties, city centre locations, some of your unique properties as well, like glamping pods. Um, these, these can actually earn in, in excess of over sort of 52 bookings per year because they will really capitalise on that short break sort of market that's out there as well. Whereas they're not going for those week long stays, they're potentially getting two in one week. So they can really make good use of that sort of 52 week calendar. So it's again, it's as we've said before in the in the other podcast, it's about doing your research, finding out what's going to work best for you. Do you agree, Vanessa? Absolutely, one hundred percent. I did a huge amount of research before I entered the holiday lets market. Um, I was originally attracted to my first one at Camber Sands because of the absolutely outstanding beach there, which is about seven miles of golden sand with shallow water. Um, and it's very close to the town of Rye, which is a real tourist 
honeypot year round. It has all the 1066 attractions in the area. It has fine dining. It has vineyards people can go and visit. It has beautiful walks. And it has, I think I'm right in saying, about 40 golf clubs within a kind of 20 mile radius. So there's so much in the area to bring people to it year round. Um, and that's what really attracted me to it. And I actually did something which I call buy, uh, try before you buy. And I actually rented a holiday let in the same development that I was interested in buying mine in. And I was greeted by the owner um, and she supplied uh, some lovely fresh tiger bread and um, milk and butter and uh, cakes and things. And it was wonderful welcome. I was very impressed. And I had a long chat to her about it um, and what sort of occupancy she was achieving and whatnot. And I stayed with my husband uh, in this little two bed cottage for, for three nights and, you know, explored the area did my tribe before I buy. Um, and then at the end of that weekend, I went into the developer's office and uh, started discussing my purchase. So that's a, that's a good way to try it. Um, you know, test the competition as well and uh, get some knowledge from other owners, because generally I find that other holiday owners are, are very willing to share, um, you know, information and, and tips and, and so on. Uh, and it's a good resource to, to tap into. If we can bring um, Helen Winter in now from Coral Interiors. I mean, the other thing that you've got to think about, and it's, it's obviously going to have an effect on your income, is how you're going to fit the property out. Yeah, it's a balance of how much, you know, you need to do your numbers, obviously, up front. There's no point lavishing loads of money on something which only you're going to achieve, you know, at the lower end of the scale due to its size or location. But there's a lot you can do that will actually elevate your nightly rate, elevate the quality of the guests you get as well. I mean, referring back to the stag and Hindus, if you're attracting people who are willing to pay that little bit more for something really special, then they are going to generally look after it better than someone who just is looking for the cheapest place possible because they're not going to be spending much time. They're just going to be out and about. Um, so, yeah, we tend to tend to look at really the, the guiding rule, I think, is create something aspirational, which is better than the average home, something where people are going to go, oh, okay, well, I couldn't achieve this in my own home, or this is a bit special. And also the other key thing really is how you stand out online. It's, it's attracting the, the right guests online when they're doing their research and looking to book something. So just by standing out and being a little bit different, having more color and pattern and interest, um, obviously great views and things like that are also key. But as you know, standing out as opposed to people who've just gone for the the typical palette of you know what's current at the moment, which is a lot of grey and yellow, um, people are used to that and everything. And that's fine, but just to elevate you a little bit and look designed and considered, it's worth kind of just pushing the boat out a little bit, um, going sort of bold, creative, scaling things up a little bit. It's a really good trick um, that I use. So like mirrors go for much bigger than you might think for your own home. Same with artwork and rugs. Um, a lot of time people just, they furnish it, but it may just be, it kind of has the, the look of furniture which has been handed down or put, picked up on Gumtree or something. And I think um, you've got to think like a hotelier and you're comparing, your property is going to be compared to local, you know, boutique hotels and B&Bs. So you have to kind of compete with them and not just think of it as a numbers game. Like, oh, if I just buy everything cheaply, then I'm going to make it as a profit. Um, 
so yeah, we try and sort of say, here, you know, here's what I think you should spend money on, which in my book would be really good mattress, really decent sofas, so the things that people are sitting on, lying on, spending time on, um, and then you can economise in other areas, so things which which don't need, um, which aren't going to take sort of much abuse, as it were, like say like little side tables and stuff can just be really inexpensive. Um, but the pe what people remember is how well they slept, how refreshed they woke, they felt when they woke up. You know, did they have uh, lights coming through the curtains or blinds? You know, did they wake up at five when they didn't really want to have to wake up at five? So yeah, sort of blackout curtains and blinds are really key. Thanks. That's great. Rachel, there are a lot of key features, you know, that are going to help to maximise your holiday let income. A lot of things uh, which people are, are into at the moment, things like the log burners, the open fires, the hot tubs as well. Uh, as mentioned in a previous podcast, the acceptance of pets, the outside spaces, the gardens, Wi-Fi as well, but good Wi-Fi. Um, these all have an impact, don't they? That That's right. All of those features that you've said there are all big ticket items and they're the ones that are really going to drive additional bookings, which of course is going to drive revenue, um, but also ones that can be taken into consideration when we are uh, calculating your, your rates that you're going to charge. So even if I just take a couple of those, so you're looking at hot tubs, they can actually earn you over 50% in additional revenue in comparison to a property that doesn't have a hot tub. Um, the likes of Wi-Fi, which you actually look at as quite an inexpensive feature to have, um, that could increase you um, your income by around 16%. Um, and you made a very good point there of, of good Wi-Fi. You've got multiple users onto that Wi-Fi. You've got potentially people streaming, they're watching Netflix on the smart TVs, all of that, that you need to make sure that you're going to be able to, to handle all of that. Um, I do think that poor Wi-Fi is probably worse than having no Wi-Fi at all um, with the frustrations and the bad feedback that can come out. Um, but a few different things that you didn't mention there that of course can can bring back um, you know, repeat bookers, but also great feedback. You've got well-equipped kitchens in there, off-road park and that ease to access that property, which can sometimes actually be quite challenging when you look at either city or, or central town locations. But there's ways around that as well. So we've got a lot of owners where we've spoken with local councils, we have parking permits for the property. It's just that the holiday maker wants to know that it's just ease that you've thought of everything for them so if you've already got that permit ready and waiting and directions to where that local car park is that's something to consider as well coastal you know near to a national park with lots of beautiful walks nearby and also the convenience to amenities so uh, maybe it's a shop nearby and um, we've got lots of foodies out there so certainly if you've got some great restaurants or pubs nearby and also uh, places to, to go and see activities to do in the area is another one to consider and things like that do affect your earning potential you know you might have somebody who, who stays at your holiday let for a week for instance and then when they're checking out and they're giving you feedback well you said it was good wi-fi it was ridiculous i'm not going to pay for this i'm not happy with this i'm not happy with that uh, so the, the the earning potential can be compromised, can't it? Certainly. I mean, the last thing a, a property owner wants is is negative feedback or a complaint coming to that property. And something that, that we do um, at Sykes is, is actually um, check in with the guest after their first night stay to make sure that everything is to their taste, to make sure that everything's okay, that there's no issues that have been incurred during that first night, because it gives us as well as the 
property owner, you know, a number of days to rectify um, any issues that they may have experienced. So when it comes to leaving that all important feedback at the end of their stay, it's going to be great because actually we were proactive. We got to those those issues um, at a speedy, uh, spe speedy manner, but also if it you know if it's all positive and all hunky-dory then that's great we just got to do that again and again and it's important when you think about your fixtures and fittings that there can be a tendency to go cheap and cheerful here um, but honestly this is where quality really pays off um, it's going to work out much, much cheaper in the long run. There's better wear on the on the, the fixtures and fittings. It's going to need replacing glass, but customers appreciate quality as, as all three of us have been discussing. And that is going to lead to fantastic feedback, which leads to more bookings, which leads to more income in your pockets. And I am a firm believer that there really is no better marketing than word of mouth. You can't get any better than that. We're talking about trying to do things right here, Helen. Obviously, people will get things wrong, but it's just making sure that you've tried to cover off all the bases. And when I say, you know, get things wrong, you've got a holiday let, for instance, that sleeps eight, but at the dining table there's only room for six or something like that. It could be something so simple, but at that game, that is going to have a big effect on your earning potential and obviously your feedback. Is, is that the sort of thing and other things that people get wrong? Yes, definitely. I've seen that a couple of times where people, people are say, saying, oh, let's get a sofa bed in the living room. And, oh, we can have a pull-out bed up in this room. And let's have bunk beds upstairs, four bunk beds in one room. And it's like, yes, they'll fit. Um, but then you've got to think about how big is the sitting room downstairs if it's not open plan. You can only fit, you don't want it to be like a dentist's waiting room where there's people just sitting all around the edge of the room on any available surface. Um, you need to definitely factor that in. And also, you know, is there, if you're going to have, say, 10 people in a house, and okay, they've all slept there fine, but the next morning, they're all trying to sort of make their breakfast or grab a coffee in a small little kitchen. Yeah, so I, I agree with what Vanessa was saying, the open plan does make a lot of sense, I think, for holiday lets, because you do have that flexibility in your ground floor and sense of space. So you haven't got people trying to squeeze through doorways at the same time. And these could be like multi-generational as well, you know, like a group of people, you know, that the grandparents, the small children, you've got to sort of factor in everyone's comfort and everyone's needs as much as possible. So also, like, is there a place to keep the buggy in the pram? Is there a place to kind of, not, so people don't have to bring dirty wellies in and stuff like that? Um, and other little things where you've kind of missed opportunities. So a key thing is sort of storage and creating, making best use of every space. So you don't have dead zones in the in the house so say you've got a, a big landing and you've got a nice big window there you can easily put a little bookcase and a chair and a lamp and just create a little reading nook and that's almost like an, an additional space so someone can just have a bit of peace and quiet to themselves or you know just look at the view or whatever and it's just kind of thinking yeah just really trying to think how people are going to use the space so say it's all great when the weather you know sun's shining and everyone's out in the garden and um, you know, you have that perfect week of, of sun, but how often does it actually happen? You know, people can end up cooped up indoors a lot more than they plan to with people they're not used to spending a lot of time together with potentially. And I think it's really also important to give a bit, little bit of separation. So it's not all totally open plan. So there is like, say a little snug where someone can just shut the door and make a work call if they have to, or, you know, just read or do some homework away from everyone else watching a, a football match or something, you know, so I do think, you know, layout is a really crucial factor to, to factor in. And if you have the opportunity to kind of go back to basics with your 
with your property as opposed to kind of inheriting something you have to stick with then yeah i think just think about what's the optimal amount of people you want to be able to host comfortably without it being an impingement on anyone if you see what i mean yeah absolutely and and vanessa you know we mentioned in a, a previous podcast that uh, you if you know there's a, there's going to be a pet staying, you leave the little treats out. It's the little touches like that, putting them into your holiday home, which is hopefully going to get the repeat business. It's putting your bit of personality on the property, but you don't want to saturate your personality across the, the, the property, do you? I think it's nice to for guests to know that you're there in the background and that you're committed to them having a wonderful holiday. Those little touches do make a difference. I had a, a guest once who I happened to find out was uh, celebrating her 80th birthday. So I arranged for an 80th birthday card and some balloons to be in the property for when she arrived. Um, and she she really, really appreciated it. And it was just an, a, a nice thing to be able to do, actually. I, I felt it was a privilege to be able to to do that and uh, to give her a nice warm welcome in, into the property. Um, you know, a few years ago, we would leave, um, uh, you know, games and comics and things around for children because, you know, generally speaking, we all know that if the children are happy, the, the adults will be happy. Um, but in this day and age, they're all on their gadgets and devices. And this, again, chimes back to what we've been saying about the importance of super fast broadband because um you know in one property with four people there might be eight to ten devices online at, at any one time people doing different activities online so i think you know just think about all those little things that 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 can make a difference and you're helping people create memories and create happiness and um, just those little small things can really really contribute to their experience uh, at, at your holiday let and of course they could walk into a holiday let and there's no 80th birthday cards and balloons um, and they could have an equally enjoyable time um, but then I think just having that little extra something uh, really can make an enormous difference and and make people feel special and as we've said before in in any business if you if you can make people feel valued and special um it, it you know it's much better way of achieving positive feedback um and uh you know them really really rating your service and your product and referring it to other people and telling their friends as we said so yeah just those little things little thoughtful things can make a, a very big difference. Because you've invested the time and it's going to appear to the people staying that you've invested some time and making sure and trying to take care of them as best you can. So they're going to obviously absolutely appreciate that. They are. And I, and I do recall um, I was flying to New York with my mum and we arrived at the British Airways check-in and they said to my mum, oh, it's we see it's your, your birthday today. We, we're going to give you a free upgrade. And I was so delighted for my mum. It, it had a much as much impact on me as it did on my mum. Um, and it's and I I tell people about that all the time. And actually, there's another little story. I was flying back from America, arrived at Gatwick. Um, I was on Virgin Atlantic, arrived back at Gatwick at about five in the morning. And to my absolute astonishment, Richard Branson came to the door of the aircraft and shook hands with everybody that was leaving. 
And that's why he's got a successful business career. And Helen, when you have a property, it's always good to be a couple of steps ahead, looking at what's going to be trending, looking at what the in thing is going to be. Are there any trends to be aware of? And I mean, you offer a vegan design service, which is obviously growing in the UK. Tell us a bit more about that. So, yeah, veganism in general is and, and plant based eating are just huge movements at the moment. And uh, for, you know, people have different reasons for, uh, for that. So um, but if you're if you don't eat animal products, you don't really want to sort of sit on a sofa made of leather or lie on a pillow made of feathers and down and things like that. Um, so increasingly people are sort of thinking, you know, they might turn to veganism um, for health reasons or for ethical reasons. And then they're thinking, oh, hang on a minute. Well, that's, it's, it's really like the whole lifestyle. It's not just the food you eat uh, and drink. It's, it's how, you know, the, the clothes you wear, the shoes you wear, and then people come to me because I actually advertise as a vegan interior designer myself. And people will say, well, we're a vegan family. You know, how can you help us kind of, you know, refurbish our home or whatever, upgrade it without any sort of animal products in it? And yeah, as you say, it's a huge thing. And I think it could be a really huge USP for a holiday cottage um, owner. If you can market your property as vegan friendly, um, which would mean, so yeah, like I said, avoiding leather, avoiding silk, avoiding wool and avoiding feathers, um, which it sounds like quite, quite a lot to do, but actually it's, it's just knowing where to shop and um, what the actual positives are to the, the old sort of products. So things like leather, it's not, people sort of think it's hard wearing and it's wiped clean and everything, but if you get a rip in leather or if you get oil on it, it does stain and it's kind of, it's ruined at that point really. Um, wool is quite scratchy and itchy and I, I can't stand wool next to my skin even before I was vegan. So it's actually, there's a lot of comfort in that as well to factor in. So by going for, uh, say I use a company called Soak and Sleep for the duvets and pillows and they have this amazing range called Soft as, um, Soft as Down, which is just microfiber. And they, yeah, they just feel exactly like down but with none of the sort of crackly sort of noise you get with feather and down pillows. And I just think, yes, it can be just a really easy way to create a niche for your property. So you attract people who are vegan or interested in being vegan or vegetarian or whatever. But it's not going to sort of alienate people who, who aren't, you know, as well. So you're not kind of alienating anyone particularly. And I think it's, it's very easy to market that as well. You know, there's all these Facebook groups with people saying, you know, what, you know they, they're crying out for information for how to, you know, veganize their lifestyle and things like that. So... It's, it's just a huge market to tap into and it's, you know, you could have like a welcome pack. You could do a tie in with a local food delivery company, for example. Um, we have one in Bournemouth, which does amazing kind of pastries and donuts and things like that. You could have them provide a welcome pack with sort of vegan craft beer or wine as well. And just, you know, really create that wow moment when they arrive and just feel so welcomed and, and thought and well thought of by their host. Yeah. Okay, so there's there's a couple of little things to bear in mind there, um, Rachel. You know, bearing in mind if if somebody has a holiday let in this country, bearing in mind what the Great British summertime is like, you don't want to put your eggs all in one basket for a couple of months. You've got to try and generate the income all year round. What are your top tips for that? 
Location is definitely, you know, sort of a big factor here. I know we've touched on this in in previous podcasts, you know, within that sort of an hour and a half, two hours of a a major city, that sort of drive time, um, being able to offer flexibility uh, around your sort of changeover days to offer those short breaks as well. It's always great to have a fixed changeover day to encourage those week-long stays. And typically that should be a Friday or or Saturday changeover And actually, certain locations work better either or. So if you are in a location where um, it does drive quite a lot of short breaks, typically a Friday would work out better for you because then you'll have a Friday to Monday stay and then Monday to Friday stay. So these are things that you've just got to consider um, to sort of help you to boost that income during those sort of winter and shoulder months as well. there's certainly some features that you can consider putting in the property that's going to make sure um, or, or, or make it look attractive um, during those sort of shoulder months too. So we talked about it before, those open fires, large kitchens, and making sure that there's there's something to do indoors. You know, we've got properties where they do have cinema rooms, games rooms, um, because we know what the weather can be like. And um, especially with kids, there's certainly nothing worse when you open the curtains and it is pouring down with the rain and you're thinking what are you going to do um it's great to have something indoors which you can keep yourselves occupied with um and year-round sort of activities in the area and amenities you don't want to pick a location where every restaurant closes up for winter because they all go on their own holidays um you want to make sure that they're going to be open year-round so that your customers can continue to have that that fantastic experience and finally to all three of you for this episode of the podcast. Reviews, do they really matter? And what should you do with feedback? Helen, first off, there are going to be people who will love everything that you do and write that down, and that's great. But there are going to be some people who will complain at the drop of a hat. How much notice do you take of those reviews? Yeah, I mean, I think there are people who just, that's their nature to complain and find fault. Um, But I think just you need to see feedback as an opportunity and an opportunity to improve and to learn and if you if you keep seeing the same comments and feedback coming up then you really do need to take action if people keep saying oh you know we kept getting woken up because it was too light in the room or whatever or it was as road noise or something if there's something you can address you know with a white noise machine or something like that then really do take it on board try not to get defensive or um you know sort of you know, give give a really good sort of response to the person. Say, oh, thank you so much. You know, appreciate you know your input. We'll take it on board, and then just and take action and sort of think. Okay, well, obviously you can't. There's things that you can't do anything about, but there's there might be something clever you can think about for next season that you could implement. You know, secondary glazing or something like that. If you've got an old cottage and you can't put double glazing in or whatever, so I think you see it as an opportunity. And I think also it's very hard to come back from a you know the first few reviews if they're not amazing. Even if then you go and implement some changes, it's really hard to then recover from those poor reviews. And I think it's really key to kind of, and I'm sure Rachel knows a lot about the psychology of this, of getting those first five to 10 reviews being absolutely stellar. And then you're kind of away, you know, away with the races because everyone else is going to see that it's a great place to stay and they're going to, you know, not expect to find any fault. Okay. Uh, Vanessa? your take on reviews? Uh, it's really interesting because I would say that 90% of reviews are either five star or one star. So in other words, mediocrity is invisible. <laughs> so really, really good. And you'll get very, you know, very favorable uh, 
feedback uh, or really, really bad, um, you're going to get a one star review. And reviews are, are nothing more than a learning opportunity to improve your uh, product and service. And I think, you know, just speaking as a consumer myself, I think everybody understands that things can go wrong in business, but when they do go wrong, they want to be listened to and they want to feel valued. And if you have a negative review, um, you, you need to learn from it and make sure that that doesn't happen again. But also I think you need to consider how you might be able to send that guest away with a more of a warm, fuzzy feeling um, and maybe say thank you so much for bringing this to our attention. Um, very sorry you experienced this. Perhaps we could offer you 10% discount off another booking or give you three nights for the price of two or something like that. And just really um, just make that guest feel that you care, that they're listened to, uh, and that you're going to do your best to resolve it with them. I think it that, that kind of lays down an audit trail as well. And that actually works in your favor because it shows that you do care and that you do listen. So um, yes, take reviews uh, on board, uh, learn from them, respond to them in a professional manner, try and solve it in an amicable manner with the guest and leave that audit trail that you are listening, you are there and that you care. And Rachel? For me, reviews it is all about best practice. It's all about being open, honest, transparent, and you really have to display all. Um, and not just for advertising standards, but to build that trusted brand for yourself, um, you know, for, for, for sites, but also for you and your property. Um, you know, the first thing I do whenever I'm going to buy absolutely anything is check the reviews. And I always expect there to be some negatives in there. And if it's, it's, if it's all glowing, you know, I, I almost think that they're hiding something. So for me, it really is, as I said, important to be open and honest, to show everything. And, and for those that are negative or, or potentially um, some, that it does have a personal preference in there, which you're not going to be able to do much about. It's responding to it in, of course, the right way, um, as, as, as both of our guests have alluded to. Um, and then taking constructive feedback from that as well, making some changes. And of course, the positive ones, you've just got to do that again. And as I said, that first night check-in really can make a difference because you can, uh, you're aware of any issues that could potentially crop up in that feedback and you can make some changes there and then. So that doesn't ruin the entire sort of holiday. Um, and as I said, they see it as a proactive approach. Well, thank you very much to our guests for today, how to maximise your holiday let income. Uh, Vanessa, Rachel and also Helen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the next episode of Inside Holiday Letting with Sykes Holiday Cottages, we're going to look at three things. Location, location, location. Showing you where to invest and why. But for now, from me, John Foster, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.